But this lesson is a lesson that goes kind of with our theme that we've had this year, hand in hand with the healer. And I imagine there are a few people here that have probably traveled the Bible lands, that have probably gone and they've seen with their own eyes some of the great places that Jesus had been at, specifically this body of water known as the Sea of Galilee. This sea is actually a freshwater lake. It's situated in the northeastern side of Israel, and it it, uh, spans about uh, some 64 square miles, about the size of Washington, D.C. It's also the uh, lowest freshwater lake in the world. It sits about 705 feet below sea level. Many have built homes along its shores. Many have worked its banks and its waters, fishing for food, and by profession. And it, as well as many of towns and cities, are where we find a great number of stories in the biblical narrative taking place. Particularly stories of Jesus' life, His miracles, and His ministry. Now I want you to imagine how this lake sits. Because it sits uh, about 26 miles east of the Mediterranean Sea. So, to its east, or to its west, there's nothing really blocking the winds that come in. There's nothing really stopping the storms. Nothing really impedes the motion there. And so you can imagine how when a storm comes in from the Mediterranean Sea and, it, and, and the winds come in down that gentle slope of the Galilean hills, unimpeded, impacting those waters, you can imagine how very quickly, without warning, a nice day of fishing or traveling can become a nightmare. where you fear for your life. And you now wonder if you're going to make it back to shore. Well, in Matthew chapter 8, we find the disciples and Jesus in that very position. And this is where I want us to begin our discussion this morning as we get into our lesson. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 24, the text there says, And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. Now, Jesus and his disciples, they've gotten into this boat. They've gotten into this boat, and they have pushed away from the shore. And you get the idea from the context that they're trying to get away from something. They're trying to get away from these crowds. Uh, If you really think about what's been going on since the beginning of chapter 8, right there at the beginning, Jesus heals a leper. And then they go to Capernaum. And at Capernaum, Jesus is stopped there by a centurion. And there, with that centurion, the centurion asked if, you know, if, if, if you'll heal my servant. And so he's already done these two things. Then he goes to Peter's house. He finds Peter's mother-in-law there. She's not doing very well. He heals her, and then the crowds come. And Jesus finds himself healing that evening. It says, They brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and healed all who were sick. So Jesus has gone through all of this. He's been very active this day. And then, right there, at the end of that, he finds himself in a crowd. And it appears enough is enough. And Jesus says it's time to go. We're, we're going to push our, push our way to the other side. 
So you get the idea here that they're getting away from the crowd, maybe trying to recoup a little. But while they're out on the Sea of Galilee, this great storm comes. And it quickly engulfs them. And the waves are getting to be too large. They're large enough that they're coming over the side of the ship. They're starting to take on water. And the disciples have worked their way into a frenzy of fear and helplessness. They're trapped on this boat and stuck in the storm. And they're scared to death. And yet all the while, Jesus is sound asleep. Mark tells us he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. Now, you can imagine at this point in verse 25, the disciples running to get Jesus. They come and they wake him up and they're yelling, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And you can imagine this whole event. A great storm has come. This boat is being tossed about by the sea. We're taking on water. We can't bail quick enough. How can you sleep at a time like this? Please do something. They're in a full panic. They're begging for Jesus to help. And you almost expect Jesus to leap up and take charge and, you know, take it as a ship's captain. You know, tighten down the ropes. Batten down the hatches. But you don't get any of that. Instead, you can almost imagine a sadness. A disappointment. As Jesus turns to his friends and says... Why are you afraid? Of course, we can see why they would be afraid in this situation. We can see why we would be afraid in this situation, right? The winds are coming in and the waves are about to sink this boat. We're about to lose our lives here. Why shouldn't we be afraid? We can sympathize with this, right? This is a reasonable response, right? No. Not on this occasion. Any other time, this might be a reasonable response. Any other time, this might be a rational response. But brethren, this time it's neither of those. And do you know why? It's because on this particular occasion, the Creator and Savior of the world is sitting right there in the boat with them. Notice what He says to them. He says, why are you afraid? On this occasion, they don't deserve sympathy. What they deserve is good old hearty, what is the matter with you people? And that's exactly what Jesus gives them. Why are you afraid? He says in verse 26, O you of little faith. Now someone might say, you know, this is, that's a little harsh. I mean, come on, you have this storm. They're in a boat. Waves are coming over the side. We're about to be, you know, we're about to be bait. <laughs> and they're in this panic. But I want to give you, or I want to give you some things to think about. I want to give this some real thought here. Because what we're seeing here is a group of people that have seen many things done by the hand of Jesus. And not, it's not just what they've seen, but what they've just seen. Remember, we just talked about this. Jesus has healed a leper. He has made a lame man to walk. They just witnessed Jesus heal all kinds of sick people. They've been with him. They've seen it with their own eyes. It's not like they didn't know that he had the power to do something. 
It's not like they didn't know He had the power to fix this. If their faith and trust in Jesus was what it ought to have been on this occasion, after all they had witnessed, they should have been curled up asleep next to Him. And yet, in their minds, tomorrow's headline is something like, Storm Overcomes Boat Carrying the Messiah. Not only that, but Mark records for us something that Matthew does not. Something that makes their reaction even more shocking and really shows you how far off the reservation their minds have gone. Mark tells us that when they woke up, or when they woke him up, they said to him, Master, don't you care that we are perishing? Their confidence as Jesus was so small in that moment that they actually have the gall to ask Jesus the question, do you care? So Jesus rebukes them for their lack of faith. And you might notice in Matthew's telling of the story that he addresses their faith before he addresses the storm. Waves are coming over the side of the boat. Water is everywhere. They think, you know, we're, we're about to die here. And Jesus, before doing anything else, just waking up from a nap, the first thing He says to them is, what's wrong with you? Where is your faith? You know, we see this. And we think about all they've witnessed all that they've seen, all that they've experienced, and we say, you know, they probably should have been acting a little bit differently. I mean, shouldn't they by now have come to trust in His care? To trust in His power? Shouldn't they have said, the storm doesn't matter, Jesus is here, this is the safest boat on the Sea of Galilee, this is the safest boat anywhere, even if they didn't know how He was going to do it, they should have thought, Jesus will get us through. But they are scared to death. They're just acting like Jesus can't help. In fact, they're acting like Jesus isn't even there at all. You know, maybe we shouldn't sympathize with the disciples, but I think we can certainly relate to them. Which of us doesn't see something about ourselves in the response of these men? Which of us hasn't reacted in a similar fashion. Because, brethren, the fact is that God doesn't fix things so that life is always smooth sailing. That's not the way He works. God doesn't take the storms away all the time. Sometimes difficult things are going to come and they're literally going to knock us off of our feet. We make plans, we work toward goals, we have hopes and dreams, and all of that comes crashing down. And Jesus, when you have everything, you know, just as, or just as you have everything built up and all that comes crashing down, you know, it, it's, it's sometimes debilitating, isn't it? Ever heard of COVID? It hasn't changed the world at all, has it? I had plans before COVID. <laughs> we would have been here two years ago if it wasn't for COVID. Well, Lord willing.
What do you do? When bad things happen. When you lose someone. How do you handle the problems of life? Because again, God doesn't just make it so none of those problems ever come our way. They're coming for each of us. Because that's just life. That's just how, the, how things work. And God is going to allow those storms to come. But you know what? He also promises that when they do, He's going to be there right in the boat with us. That He will ride out that storm. And that with Him, with us, everything's going to be okay one way or the other. What are we going to do? We're not going to answer that question yet. But I want you to see that question. So that's Jesus in the boat with his disciples, with believers. Yes, they failed in the faith and trust department on this occasion, but still, these are men who believe. They believe in God, they believe in the Messiah to come, and they know that there's something about Jesus that he can help, but seem to just miss it on this occasion. The next story that follows is a little bit different. And keeping this story in mind, I want you to notice what Jesus is confronted with in the next one. The next story is about a demon-possessed man, or demon-possessed men in the gatherings. And Jesus and his disciples, they've gotten through this storm, and they're finally on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and right away it seems like they're, they're, they're walking along, and these two men, possessed by demons, they're coming out of the tombs to meet them. So demon-possessed men coming out of tombs. This should, this should give us a pretty decent idea of what kind of men these are or what kind of people these are. Notice further how the text describes these men. It says in verse 28 that they were so fierce that no one could pass that way. In other words, you couldn't, you couldn't contend with these guys. You weren't going to win a battle. They were that violent. They couldn't be controlled. And it was just best to probably avoid them altogether. These are the men that come out to Jesus on this occasion. And as they're coming out to meet them, meet him, read with me. It says, Behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. Now I want you to think about what Jesus has done for these two men on this occasion. And not just these two men, but also for the people of this province. What Jesus has done for them on this occasion. This area of the country is an area that no one can go. No one can go around that area. These men have made life very difficult in that, in that way. And who knows the ultimate impact these two men have had on this area. This very well may be the most direct path through. And if it is, these two men, they're affecting travel. Maybe they're affecting commerce. They've certainly affected the health and general well-being of the public whenever they've tried to travel around that area just based on this description. And who knows what else? But whatever the case, Jesus has just rid the country of maybe one of the worst problems that they've had. And at the very least, he's rescued two of their people from horrible lives, saving everyone further inconvenience. And he did it with nothing but speech. 
But brethren, our emphasis this morning isn't on the miracle. Yes, we need to see that. And that's an important part of this. But the miracle wasn't the emphasis in the first story, and it isn't now. No, what I want you to notice is that after Jesus does this great deed for this country, you would expect these people to come to Jesus and say thank you. You would expect for them to come and say, you know, these two men, they've, they've suffered so much, our friends, citizens of our country. They've suffered so much. This is such a great thing you've done for us. Our countrymen have returned to us, and we just thank you so much. But you don't get any of that at all. In fact, it says in verse 34, And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Please leave us alone. Please get out. Please just go. Now maybe you're like me. Maybe you look at this story and you think, what? How could that be their response? How could they treat Jesus like that after what he's just done for them? And unfortunately, we're not told exactly why it is they ask him to leave. Maybe it was fear of the unknown. Maybe it was just fear of his power. But I have to wonder if we look at the context and think about what just happened, if the inclusion of, of certain data points here doesn't provide a key indicator as to what the real problem is. For instance, in Mark chapter 5 and verse 13, we're told that the number of pigs totaled to around 2,000. And I'm not a pig expert, but since Google is 100% reliable, I was able to find a, a I guess it, what it was called was a um, uh, raising pig for meat calculator. And when you break down 2,000 pigs and what it costs to buy one, to feed it, and then to have it butchered, just the cost, the amount comes to $1.4 million to our standards. This has cost somebody greatly. Yes, money wasn't what it was, or it wasn't then what it is now. But this has cost someone greatly. And you have to wonder from the context, do we maybe get the idea that these people might want Jesus to leave due to what his presence might cost them? Because though two men were saved again, this cost someone greatly. And when the news of what Jesus did began to spread and fear of loss begins to travel, it seems the country is swift to come and ask Jesus, please just go now. They're unappreciative of what Jesus has done for them. And they all get together and they just beg Him to go. 
He's done this great deed, and they just ask him to leave. Jesus has exercised these demons, and he's done so using the power of the kingdom of God. And people have seen this. He's done it in a marvelous way. And he's made all things right because that's what he does. You know, I can take a life that's dominated by Satan, and I can free you from that grip. I can take the power of Satan, and I can break his hold on you. That's what Jesus has done on this occasion. And the people say, please get out. Is that not astonishing? I want to bring these two stories together. Because while these stories are very different and we can see that, you know, one really relates well to believers and one maybe relates better to unbelievers, there's something that these two stories have in common, something that gives our lesson purpose this morning. So here you go. When you consider the reaction of Jesus' disciples and the reaction of the people of the gatherings together, it becomes very clear that these people are so bogged down with their immediate, worldly, fleshly concerns that they render themselves completely incapable of recognizing who Jesus is and what He can do and what He's capable of and what He offers. They're incapable of recognizing or even acknowledging the healing power and the help that stood before him. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. We started with his disciples so concerned about their well-being and their comfort and their safety. They think, you know, they're in danger. And they think, you know, we've, we've thrown ourselves into this faithless panic because of what's going on here. And they come and they rouse Jesus saying, Jesus, you need to do something. We're all going to die. Don't you care that we are perishing? That is their response. And they allow those concerns for their lives and their safety to override and conquer whatever faith they had in Jesus Christ at that time. But then you have the people of the gatherings who seems so concerned about the effect Jesus is going to have on their people. The presence of Jesus in their lives. Maybe even on local commerce. So concerned about His power and possibly the economic impact of Jesus' ministry that apparently they had no awe, they have no wonder, they have no appreciation for what He has done. Those formerly demon-possessed men are now completely calm. They're now whole. And rather than people saying, you know, that's amazing. How have you done this? By what power have you done this? Who are you? Their concern seems to be, we can't afford to have you here. I want to ask you this morning, how often do you find yourselves relating to these people? How often do you find yourselves acting just like these disciples? We have a problem or something that threatens to overwhelm us. Something goes terribly wrong. Something unexpected happens. Plans fall through. 
loved ones are taken from us, jobs sour, maybe they're even lost. Or maybe we sin and we realize the far-reaching consequences of the mistakes that we've made. What do you do? Do we go cry and wonder and talk to other people and fret and get upset? You know, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. Perhaps I'll do this over here. Or perhaps I'll do that over, over here. I might be able to get while, along for a while. I, I don't know how long we'll make it from here. Does Jesus even care about me? Our first thought is I've got to save myself. I've got to regain what I've lost. I've got to do something. And we get into this panic mode. What am I going to do? And we go running around like these disciples. And we think, and we act, and we speak, and we make plans as if Jesus isn't even there in the boat with us. You ever find yourself doing that? Sometimes Jesus needs to say to us through this text, why are you afraid? What's wrong with you? Where's your faith? Go over in Matthew chapter 13. There Jesus provides a parable that's familiar to us. It's what we call the parable of the soils. And in chapter 13 and verse 22, Jesus says, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Maybe that's our problem sometimes. The worries of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth, we, we, we trust in what we've got. We trust in our money. We trust in our friends. We trust in our possessions. We trust in everything except the one whom we ought to trust in. And then we get angry with God when it doesn't work out. You know, like these disciples, we ask ridiculous questions. Master, don't you care? Jesus, don't you care? Does Jesus care at all? Like we said and we see, God lets it happen. He doesn't make it stop storming until we show a little faith and until it, or until it serves his, his higher purposes. And, 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 and what's more, he promises to be in the boat when the storm comes. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, the author's writing to a group of Christians who are facing persecution, and he gives them this direction. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace, or find help, I'm sorry, find grace to help in time of need. Grace to help in time of need. Where do you get that? The author says, let us draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. You go to the Lord for that. Don't go to the neighbor. Don't go to your bank account. You don't always go to the preacher or the elders. There's something to be said about the encouragement that we gain from each other, and I don't want to discourage that, but the point is there's only so much people can do to solve our problems. It's the Lord who can fix them. Very quickly, going back to the story of the disciples and Jesus in the boat, you may recall how after the, Jesus calms the storm, all three writers of the Synoptic Gospels phrase the disciples' response in this way. What sort of man is this? And brethren, it's time you and I start to learn what kind of man this is. Recognizing what he has done 
acknowledging his great power, putting our trust and our faith in him. And he gives us, you know, all the ways to go about accomplishing this. In fact, Matthew 16, 25, he said, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Brethren, in that statement is wrapped up the very thing that Jesus is trying to get across to his disciples there in Matthew chapter 8. If you're going to spend all your time and your energy you know, just worrying about all the cares of this life, about your safety and your comfort, you're going to find out that you're going to consume your life with all these petty and trivial things, and in the end, you're going to have nothing to show for it. He who wishes to save his life, who is concerned about his own life and his own comfort and his own safety, he's going to lose those things. It's really one of the great paradoxes of Christianity. If you want life, you have to give your life up, right? What Jesus is saying to us is, I want you to let go of you. I want you to give me the reins of your life. Stop telling me to drive, but keeping one hand on the steering wheel. Put your faith in me. Trust in me. Because the one who will give up his life will find life. And that's what these disciples needed to learn on this occasion. And I suspect that's all that we need to learn as well. And the same thing you know, goes for the Gadarenes. They needed to learn that as well. That, yeah, maybe it might cost us something, but it's a small price to pay for what it brings, isn't it? Isn't it? The gatherings say, we'll pass. Jesus, you're not wanted here. We'll be fine without you. And then there are people that are not willing to give up their grasp on themselves. Whatever the reason is, they don't want to give up the grasp on themselves. And that's why many never come to Christ at all. We may even have someone here this morning that the reason why you haven't come to Christ is because you don't want to give up to your, your grasp, because you're afraid that this might cost you too much. And I want to tell you something this morning. Let's be candid. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ will cost you something. It may cost you your job. It may cost you your friends. It may cost you your family. It may cost you everything that you have. At times, it's going to cost you some sleep. It's definitely going to cost you some energy. But the cost of following Jesus Christ, the sacrifice versus the reward, cannot be compared. So what stood in the way of the rich young ruler. He wasn't willing to give some things up. And I imagine that's what stands in the way of many. Many are like that. They're not evil people, consumed by evil things, but they don't want to pay the price of discipleship. I appreciate your attention this morning. I know we've covered kind of a lot in a very short amount of time. But I want you to leave, to leave you with this. Jesus Christ is a very present help in time of need.
And no matter what you go through in this life, no matter what little trials, tribulations that face you, whether hills or mountains, whether great storms, Jesus is right there by your side. Trust in Him. Have faith in Him. Give your all to Jesus. and Let Him take control of your life. We'll have a prayer and a song and we'll be released to our classes. Thank you. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.